This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome to Invest Talk. This is our Tuesday, October 6, 2020 edition of Invest Talk, and we have begun the fourth quarter. Earnings season kicks off next week. And looking back from today's vantage point to where we were just a few months ago, or even just a year ago, right, pre COVID, there's been a lot of gyrations, uh, and you could say the economy was doing well before, then we had COVID, now we're restarted, and the CARES Act in April, March, April timeframe that was passed, certainly got us to where we are today, to some semblance of at least economic normalcy, or stability, shall you say. But it has been a wild ride. And with election day less than a month away, we now have more political uncertainty and thus market uncertainty. And the big, I guess, bombshell you could say today was that President Trump backed away from negotiations with the House Democrats on another stimulus package. And this caused the market to reverse pretty dramatically. S&P was up 15, 20 points or so, modest up day, and closed down 47 points, which is a more than modest down day, pretty much erasing all of yesterday's gains almost in a blink of an eye. And talked about this, how our economy is now going to be driven by Congress, which is kind of a scary thought, right? Considering how dysfunctional they are, considering how they don't want to give in to the other side, no matter how good of an idea the other side might have, if it's originated by the other side, then it tends to be a bad idea in their eyes. And that makes for it a difficult time coming to an agreement. And you've seen that here right now. Now, both sides don't want to get in, give in because, A, Democrats have an election to win. I mean, both do. But Democrats are even more uh, eager to wrestle power away from President Trump. And they don't want to give in and stimulate the economy going into the last month of the election unless they get their their things passed. Rightly or wrongly, once again, I'm a very independent uh, thinker when it comes to to politics and I don't have a horse in the race here. I'm just calling it like I see it. And the market is going to call it like it sees it. The market does not have a political leaning. The market cares about what is, not what should be, because it doesn't have a view on what should happen. You may, 
Your neighbor might. Your cousin might. Your dad might. But all that doesn't matter. What matters is the CARES Act gave forbearance through September 30th. Well, guess what? It's now October 6th. Forbearance is gone. You're going to start seeing foreclosure notices by mid-month. And you're going to see the problems start to pop up. Both in the real economy as well as the financial economy. I guess you could call it, right? With the market. And you know what? Nothing spurs politicians into action more than crisis. They are happy to give away money, to put money out in the system, no matter where it goes, whether it's efficient, effective, or not, in a time of crisis. And that's what the market knows. The market is basically, in my mind right now, about to scare the politicians. About to say, hey, wake up. Unless you do something, there are going to be problems. And that's kind of what you saw at the end of the day today. Now, I'm Justin Klein, and today in this program and podcast, I will do my best to provide unbiased answers to your finance and investment questions. I know you want strategy to help deal with this volatility we are seeing. And I'm here. I'm ready to take your calls at 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. Let's uh, quickly get to our focus point today, which is six retirement planning mistakes to avoid when you're in your 60s. I know we have a lot of listeners out there, pre-retirees, retirees, and hopefully, even if you're not, maybe you're a lot younger, you're going to be there one day, hopefully. So some great lessons there. Also, Goal-based planning. Goal-based planning. A lot of people focus a lot on today when making their their asset allocation decisions, making their planning. But what's more important is the future, right? Look at your goals in the future and work backwards, and you're going to develop a more effective plan, and we're going to discuss that as well. Also, what would a Biden... 401k plan look like, how that might change the way you think about contributions to a 401k and who it might benefit. Hint, younger, or lower income people will benefit more under a Biden plan, whereas higher income people, not as much. Not at all, but not as much. So I think that'll be interesting. Now let's get to our first caller right now. At eight 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 ninety nine chart. Hello, Stephen Justin. My name is David. I'm calling from San Luis Obispo. I'm a longtime listener. Thank you for taking my call. I'd like to add a healthcare ETF to my portfolio for a long-term hold. I was looking at Vanguard's VHT and would like to know what a good entry point might be. And what overall percentage would you give a healthcare ETF in your portfolio? Thank you so much for your advice. Really appreciate it. I'll listen for your answer on the podcast. Bye now. 
All right, looking at VHT, which is the Vanguard Healthcare ETF. And most, most Vanguard ETFs, the expense ratio is pretty low, about uh, 10 basis points. So you're going to gain access to uh, a broad swath of, of healthcare companies from its largest holding is Johnson & Johnson, which is obviously uh, drug, medical devices. Then next is United Health, which is more on the health insurance side. Then you have Pfizer, Merck. Uh, they are uh, obviously pharma. Abbott Labs is more the uh, drug, or no, sorry, the medical devices, etc. Thermo Fisher Scientific is the sixth largest holding in this fund that sells uh, lab equipment for research and development, typically. Uh, so there, there's companies all over the board here. A lot of them are very good. It's one of the most profitable areas of the market. Uh, you know, near term, I don't love it. But long term, not a bad hold. Uh, I would say, depending on your risk strategy, risk profile, somewhere in the 10 to 15% range of your overall portfolio is not that crazy over the long, long term. But I would wait on a better entry, and that would be somewhere around the 150 level. Now we're at 204. You're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. And for investors, you need to be remain vigilant. There's a lot of crosswinds that are creating volatility and affecting your psyche. So you need to be able to manage your fear and greed because that practice can make you a better investor. It will make you a better investor if you can manage it. And that's very important. A lot of investors can't. Let's talk about that. And your participation is an important part of the mix. So we're taking your calls live at 888-99-CHART. You are listening to Invest Talk. What a difference a year makes. A pandemic, financial shutdown, and market volatility. You've got finance and investment questions, and Justin Klein is here now taking your calls live. Invest Talk, 888 99Chart. Hey, Justin, thanks for taking my call. I kind of have a scenario for you. Say I have a stock. I'm down about 500 on it, say the short-term capital gain. Overall in the year, I'm up about, say, let's say 700 on a short-term capital gain. If I were to sell this stock and buy it back to take the loss of 500, would that kind of even me out or lower me at the end of the year so my short-term capital gains isn't as high? And then I can just rebuy the stock afterwards and hold it because I want to like I like it and I do want to get my money back on it. Thank you for taking the question. Hope to hear back. Take care. All right. Well, what you're talking about is something that used to be legal, uh, but decades ago the IRS realized that was a way to avoid taxes, right? You could constantly do that forever. You just take some capital losses and boom, you, you're never going to have to pay any capital gains because you can just buy it back, book the losses, and still be long that particular stock. And so what they instituted was the wash rule, meaning if you do, if you buy the stock back within 30 days, 30 days, you cannot take that capital loss. Okay? So, you can do that, but you need to wait 30, I believe it's probably 31 days before you actually buy it back. Now, a lot of times you don't know what's going to stop. The stock could go up a bunch in thir that 30 days and you lost out on it, lost out on that upside. Certainly can happen. 
Now, one strategy is to buy something similar, right? So say, for example, you like the oil space and you bought Chevron. You think that was the, that was the best company and you have a loss, right? A lot of people are going to have that in oil space right now. You want to take those losses, but you don't want to reduce your exposure to the oil space because you think it's a good time to own it. Well, you could sell Chevron and you buy Exxon, right? They're going to be fairly well correlated, very similar price movement. And then 30 days, maybe you switch that back out for, for Chevron once you get through the wash rule period. That's a strategy that you could implement as well and a lot of people that do that. So make sure you avoid the wash rule if you are trying to take capital gains. Let's go to James in New York. Let's go to, sorry, capital losses. There we go. Let's go to James in New York and let's talk about HFC, Holly Frontier. Uh, yeah, so I bought that some time ago in the um, $40 range. Um, mm -hmm. I take a little loss on it, but I bought it for the dividend, so it's holding up. It's, you know, it's harmless. I don't really feel the need to sell it, but do you think that it's worth holding on to? Um, I'm not overweight in the position. It's just kind of hanging in my portfolio and hoping it'll go back up one day. <clears throat> Yeah, uh, well, we we like Holly Frontier. Uh, we've used to own this stock uh, a while a while ago. Haven't owned it, uh, haven't owned it for clients for a while, uh, but we like the bu business. They're one of the largest independent petroleum refiners in the countries, mainly in the Rockies, mid mid continent, Southwest, etc. And long term, we like that business. We like their profitability. Uh, we just like their their cash flow. And now recently, obviously, they're doing pretty poorly. But overall, their balance sheet is pretty solid. Um, and this is the type of name that I, I would like to hold longer term. I would be slowly accumulating shares down here. In fact, it's on my potential buy list for for clients. Haven't pulled the trigger yet to get back into it. But um, you know, I wouldn't be dumping it, especially down at these levels. It's pretty bargain basement prices at the moment. So thanks for the call. Now you're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and as serious investors, we try our best to manage our fear and greed because that practice makes us better investors. And we should talk about how we can help you do that. I can help you, but you have to give us a call at 888-99 Chart. This is Invest Talk, the radio program and podcast dedicated to helping you achieve financial freedom. You may be a regular listener. You may even have called a few times. But if you've never called, what are you waiting for? The phone lines are open, and Steve and Justin would love to hear your questions right now. Call 888-99-CHART. Now, my focus point today, current concerns, excuse me, six retirement planning mistakes to avoid when you are in your 60s. Now, most people start to seriously consider whether they can retire once they, once they hit about 60 years old. Now, by the age of 67, which is when people born in 1960 or later can fully retire on Social Security, you should probably have about 10 times your final salary saved. That's 
It's on average. Now, everyone's a little bit different, right? Some people want to travel a lot, spend a lot. They have expensive hobbies and tastes, and therefore 10 times might be too low. Maybe you're the opposite. Maybe you want to sit back, play with the grandkids, not travel much, and you know, enjoy your time with your family. Maybe 10 times, maybe a little too high. But 84% of U.S. adults expect the cri- this crisis to impact their ability to achieve long-term financial security. That's according to Northwestern Mutual. So what are the common mistakes people make in times like this especially? First is not having enough equities. Just because you're in your 60s doesn't necessarily mean you automatically sell all your stocks and buy fixed income assets. A lot of people do that unnecessarily and foolishly. A lot of people put it in a fixed annuity, which can make sense for some people, but has very little or no inflation hedge. Especially in today's world where biotechnology is improving uh, every single day, your money has to last a long time and has to grow with inflation. We know what inflation expectations are doing. They're going higher. So if you're heavily weighted towards too conservative in an allocation, like treasuries, say if you use a bond index, ETF, a lot of people do that, right? They buy ag, some bond uh, index. Well, most likely you're heavily weighted towards treasuries, which is fine for stability, but terrible for inflation hedging. Next, spending too much. Now you want to reduce your debt and maximize how long your 401k or IRA contributions will go, right? And so a lot of people don't plan out. They don't map out their spending habits. They just use a hard and fast rule like, oh, the 4% rule, right? And they don't look at their spending because remember, that's the most important part is your spending habits in retirement. Next, ignoring long-term care. Should you look at it? The longer you wait, the more expensive it's going to get. Or maybe you want to self-insure, but that means you need to put money aside for that and account for the medical expenses late in life. Next is not understanding your taxes. Remember, from your 401ks and IRAs, you're going to need to take out RMDs. Now starting at the age of 72, it was 70 and a half, now it's 72, and that income will be taxed. So what should you think about doing? Well, what about a Roth conversion? Managing that so that, remember, a Roth conversion, once money's in a Roth, you don't have to take money out. That's not subject to your RMDs. But if you wait all the way until your RMDs, you might have huge distributions that put you into a high tax bracket. So you want to talk with your accountant, manage your money into a Roth IRA as much as you can before uh, at lower tax rates. If you can, maybe you're not, but you have to look at it. What about moving to different states, right? Florida, other income for income tax-free states would be an interesting one as well. And then lastly, 
compile a a list of all tax documents, social security statements, estate documents, wills, emergency funds, uh, information, all of this. And make sure that people you love, people you care about, spouses, children, cousins, whatever, they have all of it. And you have all of it in case something happens. So uh, those are the six mistakes that many pre-retirees, I call it 60s, you know, most people I think are going to probably work into their 70s, not necessarily because they have to, but because they want to, but do something like Steve. Steve's 68. He's been doing this for 20 years and he does it because he loves it. And I think a lot of people will be doing that as well. Now, the next invest talk, would a new stimulus package produce a sustained market rally? One analyst says historic stimulus package programs can play a role as a rally catalyst under certain conditions. Steve will get to that story tomorrow. But for now, I'm Justin Klein. I'm ready to take your questions live at 888-99-CHART. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It is official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the Internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So. Stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's Attack Resistance Platform.
Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. It's an Invest Talk Tuesday. Justin Klein is here today, taking your calls live. How's your portfolio doing? Are you prepared for continuing market volatility? You've got questions, so call Invest Talk. 888-99-CHART. All right, now time to go to Jake in Salt Lake City. He wants to talk about money market funds. All right, yeah. Uh, I just had a question about money market funds. I'm doing some portfolio rebalancing. Uh, I noticed there was a 0.38% uh, expense fee. I'm just wondering if there was more direct access to money markets uh, that's not through a mutual fund, you know, without expense fees, um, and if you guys have any preferred uh, money market funds that you guys use. Well, who's your broker? Uh, Fidelity. Fidelity, okay. Um, do you know what the... I've got to me, it's less to do with the... the, the yeah, do you know what the yield is on that? Um, I think it's... It's just zero percent. It's just uh, temporary from for selling funds and and getting into uh, other stocks. So it's just it's it's real short term. Yeah. So you're point oh one percent. So you're not getting any uh, any yield on that really. Uh, you know the, the difficult thing is to get it in and out, right? Fidelity is just going. Whoever your broker is is going to have its own particular money market uh, options. There's usually uh, a couple, two, three that you can choose from. We we use TD Ameritrade and they have a couple of options. And so, you know, the, the ease of getting the money to something like, like a Marcus by Goldman Sachs, right? I think they're yielding somewhere around 65 basis points on their money market. So certainly much better than the one basis point you're getting on the Fidelity money market account. Uh, so, you know, do you are you willing to set that up and, and go through that process of transferring that money? Um, you know, that's that's what I would do if I was going to leave the money in there for an extended period of time. Uh, and also depends on which money it is. You know, if it's uh, only you know a couple thousand dollars, uh, and you're only going to hold it for a short period of time, is it really worth that? So, uh, part of that, part of your question is. Do you want to switch brokers as well? Because there are other brokers that have better yielding money market accounts besides what you're getting over at Fidelity. So I guess, Jake, my question for you is, is it enough to go through that hassle? And you're, are you willing to go through that hassle? Yeah, it's it's just short term. Um, mm -hmm. uh, I'm basically selling off of, uh, certain assets and then kind of rebalancing it basically out of a lot of uh, mutual funds and into uh, individual stocks. I've been um, looking at a lot of researching certain stocks, and I like to get into those and kind of get out of some of the mutual funds with their higher expenses. Um, so yeah. kind of looking at all the turmoil in the markets to see, you know, uh, find companies that, you know, big discount that'll hopefully recover in the next three, five, ten years. So, um. yeah. So you're, you know, you're, what you're looking at is, is more liquidity. Now, what you could think about doing is parking that money instead of in cash in a sh an ETF, right? Since 
trading costs are are, for, are are zero, right? And there are some cash alternative ETFs out there that ultra short bond funds, ultra short bond ETFs. So think about those as well. While their expense ratio is probably similar to what you're seeing on the, the money market account, there is a little bit higher risk, but you're going to get a lot more yield. You know, one, one and a quarter, maybe even one and a half percent and you get paid monthly. And so there are some of those options as well. Now, that goes back to, too, if you want to use some of that money, you sell it, sell part of it, is that money available right away? I know at a TD Ameritrade, we're able to use that money right away. I don't know Fidelity's particular policy, um, but that goes back to, once again, which broker you use. So thanks for the call, Jake. Always an interesting topic in a time of financial repression where rates are basically pinned at zero. Now let's touch on how to set your asset allocation, stick to it, and reach your particular goals. Because that's, at the end of the day, why we're all here. We all have a specific set of goals. Some are near term, some are medium term, some are long term. Everyone's a little bit different based on where what their priorities are about everything else money that's not money related because money usually feeds into those things in some way, shape, or form. Uh, we all have different risk tolerances, etc. Now, one way, and I think the best way to do it, is to work backwards. So you start with the end in mind, and you work back in time to determine what the best plan of action is. And... This is a great way, I think, for anything in life, but especially for financial planning. And I say financial planning because it's not just about retirement planning. Retirement is just one particular goal. It could be buying a certain big ticket item, like a car or a boat. It could be sending kids to college. It could be a wedding. It could be a lot of different things. And what this allows you to do is figure out how much you need to save, how much of your current income you should replace, for example, in retirement, how much you can safely spend from your savings each month. And you do this by starting with your end goal. So you ask yourself, what does, for example, a successful retirement look like? Like I said on the you know earlier in the show that everyone's different. So goals can be lump sum, right? Buying one big ticket item. Goal could be traveling for X number of years and spending a hundred thousand dollars a year on travel for five years, for example. Or it can be a stream of income that you're going. So the end goal can mean various things when it comes to the amount of money as well as the duration of that money. And then what you do is you prioritize those goals. First is obviously going to be a retirement income, right? Covering food, clothing, utility bills, etc. And these are a lot less flexible. You can cut some expenses here and there, but overall, that's probably priority number one. Number two is safety net. So any big ticket items that you don't want to have to go groveling to the government for, like healthcare, for example, setting up that safety net. 
And then big ticket items. Like I said, a boat, a car, whatever it is. And then inheritance. Not what you are going to inherit, but what others might inherit. Children, loved ones, maybe a charity. And then long-term care. How much is that a part of your picture as well? So prioritizing these things are important as well. And what you can do is look at the time horizon, figure out how much you can say, you need to save for each one, and then invest accordingly. So each goal should have a dedicated investment portfolio. For example, something that's near term, you want to buy a big ticket item in the near term, you're not going to be very aggressive. Whereas long term, if you have 20, 30 years from now, you can be more aggressive, have more equities in your portfolio in that particular portfolio. And those that are not, not as crucial, you can be more flexible when you do it, right? When you start to travel, you can be more flexible when that is. That means that allows you to be more aggressive with your portfolio because you can wait out a little longer when things are maybe a little tougher. So this goals-based approach lets you know exactly the role that each investment in your portfolio plays. All right? And I think that is a great way to think about building out a proper investment strategy. Now, every now and then, we get caller that focuses on a topic we have already covered. But if the overall question drives to a different point, we go ahead and insert the question in the show. Let's try this one from 888-99-CHART. Hi, my name is Chris. Thanks for a great show. Um, I've been employing a covered call strategy similar to what it sounds like you do with your dividend growth strategy. I think that's what you call it. You know, basically selling covered calls on stocks I like to own uh, to generate some extra income. One question I had is how you deal with if a stock ends up going into money. I'm not sure if you roll those calls forward or let the shares get taken away or the most, I guess, efficient way to deal with that when it comes up. Thank you very much. Bye. Well, I think he's speaking to Equity Income Plus, which is our cover call strategy. And the answer is it depends. Do you want to hold the position still? Because just because something goes in the money, right? say, for example, buy a $50 stock. You sell a 55 strike. Maybe you get a dollar a share. right? And the stock goes to 60 bucks. You missed out on four of those $10 depreciation, right? Because you got the five and the one from the premium, but it went all the way to 60. So it went up 10 bucks. And what you can do is you can buy at expiration that callback for, say, it's going to be five bucks. It's the intrinsic value at expiration. But you got one. So really it's costing you four. But you got the price appreciation of the equity. Right, So that's what you do is you, you could buy it back and then roll it, sell a 60 strike, maybe sell a 65 strike, depending on where you think the stock is going to go. Are you still more bullish on it? Are you more bullish? Are you still bullish on the overall market? Maybe you allow it to get called away, move it into a different position. Maybe you think 60 is the cap on it. There are a lot of factors to consider. So it's never a hard and fast rule by any means to say, oh, I'm going to roll it or I'm going to let it get called away. 
too many factors. It just all depends whether you're bullish, bearish, or neutral. If I'm still bullish, I'm rolling it. I'm rolling it out and up, meaning out to the next month or two months out and higher in strike. If I'm neutral, maybe bearish on it, which is probably not after it's gone from, say, 50 to 60, you know, then I might let it get called away and move on. I'm Justin Klein. You listen to Invest Talk, and you are not alone. Now, as you might assume, the greatest number of our listeners are here in the United States. However, it is interesting to note that we attract an audience from all around the world. Now, during April this year, we had nine downloads from Cambodia. But more recently, during September, we tracked Invest Talks 1,215 downloads from Germany, 202 from the Czech Republic, 104 from Mexico, all over the world. It's, it's pretty amazing. And Steve and I thank you for downloading the Invest Talk podcast and also telling your friends and family members about our free investing and finance tools over at investtalk.com. Please keep those calls, questions, and emails coming. We love them. And I think, uh, let's see, last month, yeah, we've reached a record, almost 900,000 downloads in the month of September. So we thank you for that. And of course, we welcome you to call our KPP financial offices in Irvine, California. We would love to help you. So give us a call at 888-99-CHART. This is Invest Talk. Good news. Steve and Justin have recorded another Rapid Fire Hour podcast. They take caller questions at a faster pace, but you still get their unbiased answers. In this special bonus show podcast, you'll hear responses to 34 finance and investment questions. The theme of the program concerns market processes, best practices for investors, and explanations of various terms and investment opportunities. So tell your friends, search Google Play, Spotify, iTunes, or investtalk.com for the free August Rapid Fire Hour. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk, made possible by KPP Financial. Hi, this is Jason from Memphis. I'm calling for MNK Mallinckrodt. They are supposedly heading into bankruptcy, and I'm wondering, when they come out the other side, how do they reissue shares, and whether or not you guys think it's a good buy? I appreciate the help. And always love your show. Thanks. All right. Well, they reissue shares. Great question. This is Malincrot. This is a, a company that is based, where are they based? In the UK. And they're caught up in uh, a lot of drug litigation, uh, opiate litigation, I believe it is. And they are on the brink of bankruptcy. The reports say they'll file bankruptcy sometimes, probably this month. And his question is, what happens when they come out of bankruptcy? Well, the bankruptcy process, which I'm assuming they're going through Chapter 11, not Chapter 7. Chapter 7 is when you liquidate. Chapter 11 is when you reorganize, you negotiate with the creditors. And what happens is the owners of the equity today get typically, nine nine times out of 10, 95 times out of 100 probably, they get zero. Zip. Well, what happens is the bondholders get equity in the company, typically, as well as oftentimes some sort of debt as well, right? Where they might have, you know, they might get 20 cents on the dollar in, uh, in, in debt still, right? Where they cut the debt down from, say, 
say down 80%, and then the rest is converted into equity. So there, it's it can be complicated. Reorganization, reorganization is very complicated. Um, but when it comes out, it will be new shares of the company that has nothing to do with the old shares. Now, whether that's a good buy, I don't know because it all depends on how that bankruptcy process goes and what the capital structure looks like. How much debt remains in the business? Who are the owners? Are they strategic, maybe, in some way? So these can be very complicated deals. Uh, and it's typically put to market by some investment bank where they're bringing in additional capital to recapitalize the business as well. So uh, it's there's no way to tell right now whether it's a good buy. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. And we have one goal here to help you achieve your own particular version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this final break. So get your questions in now at 888 chart You are listening to Invest Talk. Every Friday on the program and the podcast, Steve Peasley shares highlights from the newest edition of the KPP Premium Newsletter. Listen Fridays to Invest Talk. And now, Steve and Justin welcome your calls and questions. 888 99Chart. Hey, Steve and Justin. This is Shaz from Washington, D.C. Looking at some utility stocks and came across Pinnacle West Capital PNW ticker symbol. Looks like a steady stock, and all the numbers look great. What, so I'm just trying to understand get an opinion as to is this the right time to get into it i'm trying to add some exposure into my portfolio to some utility stocks and this looks like a a really nice stock with good numbers and and a decent yield like four percent upwards uh i'll listen to the answer on the show thank you all right looking at pinnacle west capital this is a utility out of arizona electric utility they serve about 1.3 million customers. This company we used to own for clients, but it, would, it was underperforming, so we did cut it. Uh, recently, it started to start to outperform, which you know I, I, I'm, I'm starting to like it a little bit more. I, I really, you know, we dug into the business. We like the company overall, uh, but at, the, at a certain point, I forget how long ago it was, it was underperforming, and so we, we switched it out for a different one. And so, you know, I really, I really like the business though. I like these Sunbelt gateway areas of the country, especially post COVID where more people are working from home. You can get more bang for your buck in an area like Arizona versus say here in California. And I think those areas of the country just from an economic standpoint are going to do, going to do better uh, because of work from home, but also taxes, right? The tax income tax situation in many states uh, continue to go up and Arizona is one that uh, there's you don't have to worry about that and so I think uh, you have more baby boomers retiring etc to places like Arizona so you know I like this name certainly uh, remains on our watch list of one of the companies that we like and we'll be keeping an eye on it, um, but I, I like what you're looking at. I like how you're thinking, and the nice 4% yield definitely speaks to me. So uh, definitely up there with one of my top utility names if you're looking to add to that space. Now, before we go, I want to touch on 401ks and a potential change under 
a potential Biden administration. And for years, Congress has been trying to change the tax structure for 401ks. Uh, but it's been easier to add different side benefits like Roth options as well as simple IRAs, etc. Now, the tax benefit, because we have a progressive tax system, actually for 401ks and IRAs as well, benefits wealthier, higher income people than lower income people, right? Because higher income people are taxed at a higher rate than lower income tax people. And so since uh, you know, so so while the plan that Biden has put forward doesn't have a ton of details, what it does do is lay out a proposal that all 401k contributions, regardless of your income level, will have a 26% tax credit. So every dollar that a worker puts into that plan. So for those individuals earning less than 163,000 you're going to get a boost to your tax savings. If you're an under 40,000 a year, your tax savings could double, right? Because you're in such a low tax bracket. If you're married and you're earning less than 326,000, you're also going to see a boost to your tax benefit. Now, what reaction would this have? Well, Certainly more people, I think, on the lower end are going to save. Well, maybe less people on the high end, but would also make a Roth option more attractive, right? Because if you're in a high tax bracket, say 40%, and you put money into a 401k, but you're only getting a 26% tax credit, well, why wouldn't you just put money into a Roth instead? Makes it more attractive. Now, there are some other provisions where there'd be a a government match type of uh, option, but we'll see how it goes. But certainly something to watch if Biden does win uh, the presidency and implements his 401k plan likely will change the way you think about the tax benefits of a 401k. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. I'll return on Thursday. In the meantime, please remember to tell your friends and family members they can choose from over 100 archived Invest Talk podcasts for free to download over at investtalk.com or check them out on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And you can also listen live streaming four to five every weekday over at investtalk.com. Just hit the listen live button. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is President and Justin Klein Chief Executive Officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. They thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.